Red. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and this week I'm going to look at three stories of women who did some serial killing. Uh, we're going to look at the stories of Jane Toppin, Amy Archer Gilligan, and Eileen Warnos. Uh, and I don't know, it just seems nice to not have an episode about dudes killing for once. Um, I mean, Grant, like, okay, like a few weeks ago we had like a story about awful women in history, but like, you know. They just killed a couple people. Maybe, well, I don't know. They killed a lot. This is kind of like that episode, I guess. Anyway, story time. Story time. Jane Toppin was born to an Irish immigrant family in Boston in 1854. I mean, I probably could have just said she was born in Boston, an Irish immigrant family is given. Um, Her mother ended up dying of tuberculosis when Jane was a baby. And then obviously, as you would expect in stories like this, uh, her father was an abusive alcoholic known by locals as Kelly the Crack. And this this like in, in terms of like crack pot, not like he was addicted to crack or something. Crack, obviously not around in the, you know, 1850s, but. You know, crack is in crackpot, crazy, crazy guy. Um, Jane's father was so unstable that actually in his later years while he was working as a tailor, he had a mental breakdown and sewed his own eyes shut. I don't know how you do that. Like, I can I can kind of see you doing like one eye. And then at what point do you get done sewing the first eye shut that you think, yeah, I'm going to do that again. I'm going to go for the second one. And then how do you do that? Like, because you have to have your eye closed the entire time for that. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's easy to, I don't know how sewing works. I I have no frame of reference to like, it just seems like a hard thing to do, but I don't know. Um, but shortly after uh, Jane's mother died, Kelly, uh, her, you know, Jane's father dropped her and her sister off at the Boston Female Asylum, which was an orphanage for girls. Um, Jane's sister grew up to be a prostitute, and then Jane was placed as uh, an indentured servant to a family in nearby Lowell. Uh, by 1885, Jane was working at Cambridge Hospital, where she earned the nickname Jolly Jane, thanks to her friendly and upbeat attitude. And that's I, like... That feels like a point where I would be like, Haha, just kidding. She was known as Jane the Jerk or something. No, she was actually known as Jolly Jane. She's real happy, which is weird given everything that she's been through up to this point. Um, and there, there's a reason for that. It was all a front because behind the scenes, she was a very different person. She was not really jolly. Um, as Jane received new patients, she would then pick her favorites, but... I, you know, like favorites being very quote unquote here because, you know, she wasn't giving those favorite patients better preferential treatment. Um, You know, her favorites were typically elderly or terminally ill people who had very little chance of getting better. And she would use those patients as guinea pigs for experiments with various drugs to see how they affected the nervous system. And so... Jane would give these drugs to these patients and then she would watch 
as the drugs then sent them in and out of consciousness. And over time, she got like more and more brave and creepy with it. And she started lying in bed with them and, and was really starting to get like this weird sort of sexual gratification out of it. I don't I don't know how, but I, I don't know how weird kinks like that works. Um, as she laid with her patients slash victims, she would start to fondle them and then hold their eyes open while she did it in an attempt to just kind of see into their souls. Because guys, we all know that if you're holding a dude's wiener and looking directly in his eyes, you can see his entire soul. That's how it works. Um, you know, you know, dudes, if you're just, you know, going all finger blast over there, you can look right in her eyes and you can see into her soul. That's I, um, not sure if you guys were aware, but that is actually how it works. Um, and anyway, <laughs> that's weird. That's weird. I was going to take that to a really weird place, but I'm, I'm holding off because I'm trying to be better. You guys, um, anyway, um, she, she, once she kind of got tired of that though, she would alter the dosages to the point where she would feel her patients die and then resuscitate themselves and then die again. So it's crazy. And because old people like they die anyway, and no one really suspected anything weird was going on. So Jane was recommended for a job at Massachusetts General Hospital, which at the time was one of the most prestigious hospitals in the entire country in in 1889. Um, This hospital, however, actually cared about their patients and ended up firing Jane the following year after several of her patients died under her care. Uh, So instead, she just went back to Cambridge and was quickly fired for recklessly dispensing opioids. So people are starting to kind of catch on here. But five years later, while working as a private nurse, Jane decided to kill her landlord and his wife and her foster sister, Elizabeth, with strychnine. Uh, In 1901, James moved in or uh, Jane moved in with an elderly man named Alden Davis to take care of him after his wife had died, who, by the way, Jane had already killed. And in a few weeks, Davis, his sister and two of his daughters had been poisoned. Uh, and when the remaining members of the Davis family who hadn't yet been poisoned, uh, ordered a toxicology report on one of the daughters, uh, that's when police finally put everything together and arrested Jane on October 29th, 1901. Uh, within a year in police custody, Jane confessed to 31 murders, uh, and she wanted the jury to find her insane so she would at least have a chance to be released, which huge loophole in the legal system, um, And even more, she confessed to her lawyer that she actually wanted to go and kill more people, uh, quote unquote, helpless people. Um, And she wanted to do kill more people than any other person who had ever lived. Um, And she was actually, in fact, uh, found not guilty by reason of insanity, but she was committed uh, to the Taunton Insane Hospital for life. But like, first of all, why are you going to tell someone that? Because that pretty much just means you're not going to get out. But like, to have those ambitions to become basically the most prolific serial killer uh, of all time, which, I mean, she would have had some work to do. I mean, she would have needed, I don't know, hundreds, maybe. It depends on how, you know, it depends on the numbers. But, you know, but also, like, not that, not that nurses and, and medical professionals have it tough already, but, like, really, like, you, you're trusting your life to this person to not be a serial killer because at a hospital... And to be a nurse, got to be at least back in the day, one of the 
easiest places to be a serial killer. And there have been a bunch of stories um, throughout history, and we'll we'll have an episode, you know, later down the road, probably dedicated to these sorts of people. But like, um, kind of, I think I think the name for them, I think, is like Angels of Death or something like that. But yeah, just like these nurses who would come in and just like administer some extra drugs and then kill their patients. And technically that's murder. But, um, but Jane did not uh, get the chance to uh, be the biggest serial killer of all time, even though she wanted to, but she was clearly insane. And uh, she did eventually die in the uh, insane hospital. So our next story here, uh, Amy Duggan was born on Halloween day in 1873 in Milton, Connecticut. Uh, She eventually grew up and married James Archer in 1897 and then had a daughter with him later that year. Uh, The new couple started working for uh, or working as caretakers for John Seymour, who was an elderly widower in the town of Newington. And when he died three years later, uh, Seymour's heirs converted his home into a boarding house for elderly people and retained the archers as the primary caretakers. Um, eventually the archers moved to Windsor, Connecticut, and then used their savings to open the archer home for the elderly and infirm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Amy's husband died in 1910 from kidney disease, leaving Amy to run the home by herself. Now, fortunately for Amy, uh, she had just taken out a life insurance policy on James a few weeks prior to his death. So you guys kind of know where this is going to end up. Um, three years after James' death, Amy met uh, a wealthy man named Michael Gilligan. And Michael was interested in investing in Amy's boarding house and ultimately ended up marrying her and then died three months later. But guess what, guys? It's totally okay because Amy got the benefits from a will that Michael had drawn up uh, just before he died that left everything he owned to her. Not coincidental at all. Uh, on May 29th, 1914, a man named Franklin Andrews was doing some work around the Archer home when he suddenly became ill and died later that night. Uh, the death shocked everyone in the area because Franklin was like one of the healthiest people that everyone knew. Um, and when the official cause of death was listed as a gastric ulcer, uh, Franklin's sister, Nellie Pierce kind of got suspicious about that. Uh, Pierce did some snooping and uncovered several letters between Franklin and Amy that showed that Amy was just constantly pestering him for money. And a subsequent investigation into the Archer Holmes records showed that a lot of former residents in the house had died, uh, like more than 50, uh, most of which had occurred shortly after handing over a lot of money to Amy, which, I mean, who, who knows, man? Old people, they die. Maybe it's just a big coincidence. Not not at 50. Um, Pierce then took all of her evidence to the local district attorney, but she got ignored. Uh, The Hartford Current, uh, which was the main newspaper in Hartford, Connecticut, however, uh, was happy to publish this story and and get some attention for it. Uh, After police read the Current series on the, quote, murder factory, which is what uh, Amy's home had now been uh, dubbed, They launched a year-long investigation into everything that was going on. Uh, Police also exhumed the bodies of uh, Franklin, Michael, and three other residents, uh, and they found that everyone had been poisoned with arsenic and strychnine, which, I mean, surely you're not surprised by that, right? Like, (laughs) hopefully there... I I really hope, like, someone was out there just be like, man, I hope this was all just a coincidence. Like... 
Amy just seems like a nice person, like opening up a home for the elderly to take care of them in their final years. What a saint. Surely she didn't murder all those people. Yeah, she did. Um, Not only did several local merchants then testify that they had sold large amounts of uh, those poisons to Amy and her own patients, but the will that uh, had been written up by her uh, second husband was then deemed to be a complete forgery. Uh, Amy was then obviously immediately arrested and charged with five counts of murder, but her lawyer got it reduced to just one murder of Franklin Andrews, uh, where she was found guilty and sentenced to death. Um, she was granted a new trial in 1919, where she pleaded insanity on account of the fact that she was addicted to morphine, but she was sentenced. Uh, she was found guilty again and then sentenced to life in prison, this time instead, where she died on April 23rd, 1962. Uh, our final story is of Eileen Warnos, who was born in Troy, Michigan on February 29th, 1956, to her 16-year-old mother, who had recently divorced... Her 18-year-old husband. Uh, Eileen's mother got married at age 14 to a 16-year-old. Michigan. In Michigan. Like, I know that the South gets a lot of flack for this sort of thing. But man, if we have not seen a lot of great examples about how, like, up north and, like, Ohio, Michigan, maybe Wisconsin, you know, places that we don't normally think of as, you know, being very backwards. Uh, they are oftentimes a lot more backwards than anything that has ever happened in the South. Um, this, I mean, this seems like something that you would hear about happening in Mississippi, stereotypically, not Michigan. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but yeah, uh, Eileen's mother, 16 year old decides to have a kid and then divorce her 18 year old husband. Uh, Eileen's father, Dale, of course his name's Dale, um, never actually met his daughter thanks to a prison sentence that he was serving for sex crimes against children. (laughs) I mean, this is like, of course Eileen's going to grow up to be a serial killer, right? Like with that backstory, you don't like, and and, I mean, maybe it's happened, but majority of the time you're going to like, you're going to tell me that a person who was born to a 16-year-old mother who's never met her father because her father was in prison for having sex with children after already getting a 15 or 16-year-old girl pregnant. Like, duh. Of course, that's not going to turn out well for anybody. And sure, I get it. There are people who were born to teenage mothers who ended up having a normal life. I don't, I wouldn't say that the number of people who found like staggering success is super high, but they ended up normal. All right. I mean, more, more likely they had their own kid at like 17, maybe beat her mom out by a year. But you know, you got grandma who's like now like 43, you know, going to be a great grandma at 60 going to be a great great grandma at 80 but let's be i mean look let's be honest man she's not living to 80 not 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 having that life no um also just as kind of a a punctuation on the on the end of this great origin story uh eileen's father later committed suicide in his prison cell so um never really had a chance to meet meet her father um but 
by the time that Eileen was four, to make things even better, uh, Eileen's mother abandoned her and her brother because she had another kid uh, and left them in the care of their maternal grandparents who were uh, roughly 30 years old. I don't know that for a fact, actually. I'm just assuming. Um, <laughs> at age 11, uh, Eileen began exchanging sexual favors for cigarettes and food, uh, including with her own brother, as if you didn't think this story was already super sad enough. Like, <sighs> like this one's just a bummer, dude. Like, <laughs> already, like, born to a young mother, gets abandoned, all right, living with grandparents, and then at age 11... Like, I remember what I was like at age 11. I was like in fifth or sixth grade. I didn't know anything about anything at age 11. All right. And you have Eileen here who's swapping handies and beegers for cigarettes and food and even doing it with her own brother. And that's weird. And that's sad. And three years later... Uh, after having been raped by one of her grandfather's friends, just piling it on, piling on the sadness. Um, Eileen, unsurprisingly, gave birth to a son at a woman's shelter where he was immediately given up for adoption. And good for that kid. Hopefully that kid turned out relatively okay. All right. Because, like, I'm assuming that if it's one of her grandfather's friends... Someone who is probably at least, I don't know, her grandfather is probably like 40 at this point. So probably like a 40 year old dude. I don't know. And getting raped and then getting pregnant and then having to like at 14 years old, give up this kid for adoption. Uh, Within a year of this happening, Eileen dropped out of school. Not surprising. Uh, Even worse, her grandfather then kicked her out of the house shortly after uh, her grandmother died. And so to support herself, Eileen lived in the woods and earned living as a prostitute. So like clearly destined for greatness. All right. Uh, spoiler alert. She does not turn things around, right? This is not one of those like, and she became the minority owner of little Caesars. Like, no, this is not what's going to happen here. Um, in 1976, Eileen, uh, hitchhiked to Florida where she met 69 year old Louis Gratz fell, who was the president of a local yacht club. And the two got married, uh, later that year. Um, she's 20. He is 69. Gross. Um, but Eileen could not adjust to a comparatively, uh, better life. Like this is where you could have that opportunity to turn things around. All right. He's the president of a local yacht club. Probably means he's doing all right, but couldn't do it and she regularly got into fights at the local bar and then actually ended up assaulting her husband with his cane because of course he uses a cane oh i forgot just how depressing it's just one sad moment after another with this story um by 1986 eileen had been in and out of prison for various assault and theft charges And later that year, she met Tyria Moore at a gay bar in Daytona Beach, fell in love, and then moved in with her. Um, To pay her share of the bills, Eileen continued working as a prostitute because, I mean, like, that's probably the only thing she's ever been good at. Didn't really need to develop uh, legal skills, you know, uh, because it seemed like being a prostitute was, was paying the bills. 
Uh, on November 30th, 1989, Eileen uh, moved past just assaulting people and just decided to start killing them. Um, it started in Clearwater, Florida, after a man named Richard Mallory, an electronics store owner, attempted to rape her. And Eileen, who claimed that she was acting in self-defense, um, grabbed, I don't know if it was her gun or Mallory's gun, but she shot him several times and then left his body in the woods. Uh, in June of 1990, police started finding bodies of other men who had been shot multiple times, uh, including a construction worker, a part-time rodeo worker, a retired seaman, uh, a sausage salesman, a retired police chief, and a trucker. So, like, really just exploring the gamut of stereotypically dirtbaggy kinds of people. Um most, uh, and, and like, yeah, like most of these professions, if not all of them have been known to enlist the services of a prostitute from time to time. Like, especially the sausage salesman. It's just like, you know how that went. Hey there, pretty lady. And I sell some summer sausages during the day, but I got a sausage in my pants to see right now. <laughs> oh man. Oh God. Which I guess that, t- I, well, no, like I, I guess wouldn't wouldn't Eileen be the salesman in in that in that position in that because she was the prostitute? So like, I I don't know, man. I you get it. You get where I was going. Um, on July fourth, nineteen ninety, witnesses saw Eileen and her girlfriend Tyra uh, abandoning the car of Peter Seams, uh, who was the retired seaman that Eileen had had shot to death. Uh, police searched the car and found Eileen's palm print on the door handle. And then after some of Sam's uh, belongings surfaced at a pawn shop, authorities launched an investigation to finally track these two women down. Um, in typical Florida fashion, it took over, over seven months to find these two. And, but on January 9th, 1991, uh, Eileen was finally arrested on an outstanding warrant at a biker bar near Daytona. Uh, Tyria was uh, arrested the next day in Pennsylvania, but in exchange for uh, prosecutorial immunity, Tyria agreed to coerce uh, a confession out of Eileen. So uh, Tyria was uh, transported back to Florida and put up in a motel where she then made several calls to Eileen begging for help in clearing her name from all of the murder that Eileen had been doing. And so three days later, Eileen confessed, although she was adamant that every single one of the men had tried to rape her and that she had only been acting in self-defense. But uh, a year later, Eileen was convicted of murdering Richard Mallory, who was the first guy that we talked about and was sentenced to death. Uh, She then received subsequent death sentences for six additional murders. Uh, Just before her execution, because of course Florida went through with it. um, Eileen would like just one of the greatest final statements I think I've ever read. Um, she said, I would just like to say I'm, I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like independence day with Jesus. June six, like the movie, big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. Like, what does that even mean? I, okay. I, I mean, I guess independence day came out on June 6th. Weird. She's coming back on an alien mothership with Jesus. Like she's in the heaven's gate cult or something, but weird, just, just weird. But like, I get it. Like given her entire traumatic life, that's on par. All right. 
Uh, Eileen was executed on October 9th, 2002. Um, and her story was actually adapted into the 2003 movie Monster, um, where Eileen was played by Charlize Theron. I said Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron. Theron? Theron. Charlize Theron. Theron. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, that's it. Those stories of three women who killed a lot. So let's kind of recap here and see what we learned. What did we learn? Number one, Jane Toppin was going to try to be the most prolific serial killer ever, but she finally got caught after 31 murders and spent the rest of her life in an insane asylum. Uh, Number two, it used to just be, it baffles me just how easy it used to be to kill literally anybody. Like you could just go to the store and buy arsenic or strychnine and you could just put that in people's drinks and food and it would kill them. And a lot of times, assuming you didn't do it over and over and over again, where it became easily traceable, you could just kill people that easy. It's crazy. Um, and number three, Eileen Warnos, uh, top candidate really for like saddest life ever. Next week on Our Weird World, we have one story, and that is the story of Ted Kaczynski. You've probably heard the name. You probably know that he was the Unabomber, but like, do you know anything else? Do you know why he was crazy? Do you know why he wanted to bomb things? Uh, We're going to go deep into it, look at his uh, life story, and get a better sense for why he was the way he was, and Uh, Part of it's going to be a little suspicious, and um, you'll understand why as we talk about it next week. So that's it. Thank you all for listening. Keep telling all your friends, and keep it weird.